Because it, have you read, have you read this portion? It fits. They were not good people. Every one of them just did really bad things. Now this doesn't diminish the fact that Adonai used these people to further his will in a very powerful way. It's just going to show though that God doesn't need you to be a saint before he calls you. He can build the finest palace out of the most distorted material. Let's take a look at just a few of these stories in today's parsha that shape our perception of how our Lord and King wants us to behave. First off, we have Isaac and Rebecca as parents. Well, right at the beginning of the portion, the bit that we read this morning, we see Isaac humbly praying for his wife to conceive. As you expect of the guy who lived the Akedah in humility. You expect a man who lived through that to be going for God and saying, Lord, my life is yours. Lead me, guide me, do with me what you will. And his prayer reflects that. His prayers are answered, and Rebecca receives a double blessing of twins, along with a clear prophecy of God's plan for them. Couldn't be plainer, right? So what do the parents do with this information? They choose up sides and play favorites. Just as an illustration, how many of you have more than one offspring? I think most of us, yeah. Yeah, me too. How many of you try really hard to not show favoritism between your offspring? Yeah, me too. That's a good thing, by the way. Congratulations on that. Now, don't raise your hands for this one, but how many of you have to try really, really hard to not show favoritism because really, deep down, you do like some of your kids and grandkids more than others? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Don't raise your hands. That's not good. I'm a bad person, so I can raise my hands. Yeah, me too. Moving on, Jacob and Esau grew up to be young men, and they're very different young men. Jacob is a quiet, studious home buddy, while Esau is a brawny, outdoorsy type. Now, since Jacob is mom's favorite, she obviously told him the prophecy about the younger son Jacob gaining supremacy over Esau the older. That wouldn't be so bad if she and Jake didn't also take a page from the playbook of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, and decide to take matters into their own hands, forcing the issue instead of trusting that God could make his own prophecies come true. Jacob goes about this by tricking his brother out of his birthright, while they are both young men. I know the sages tell us this was indeed a fair bargain, because Esau accepted the trade of his inheritance for a bowl of soup. Come on. <laughs> really? Has anyone ever read the story and not thought, well, Jacob's a putz? Or whatever equivalent social term you use, because that was not a nice thing for him to do. Jacob was a jerk. Now, years later, Jacob and his mother team up to pull the same con again, but this time they dress him up in goat skins and trick his old blind father into bestowing Esau's blessing on Jacob. I tell you, if you can read that story and not find the morality at least suspect, if not downright disturbing, then I worry about you. Now, not that Isaac was a blameless victim of Jacob and Rebekah's wiles. He had his fair share of trying, poor examples that he got from his father. In verses 24 through 33 of Genesis 26, we read the story of Isaac escaping a drought by going to live in Philistia. The same thing his daddy did. While there, he pulls the same con that Abraham tried. 
telling the king that his wife is really his sister. The story in Genesis 20 is so similar, in fact, to the story in 26, that proponents of the documentary hypothesis, have you heard of that, the idea that five different authors wrote the Torah and then some later redactor put them together? Uh, they hold this, this story up as proof that two authors wrote the same story and then later on the redactors just changed the names of one of them so it could apply to the other patriarch. They, they are that similar in, in structure and grammar and everything. Uh, they, didn't change, they didn't even change the name of the king. But that's not really a big deal because Avimelech could be like Pharaoh, a title. Some other times you can discuss why I disagree with all that idea. It's not really today's point. It's a fascinating study that we can argue about because people on the one side hate the people on the other side, but we're not going to do that today. The point is, Isaac and Abraham both lied about their relationships with their wives. Just to save their own sorry skins when they were scared. It's not exactly what you call the Eagle Scout ideal. Now, despite these examples, we hold these people up as heroes of the faith. Right? Yeah, why? Well, for one thing, if we had to limit our biblical stories to only people who were perfect all the time, it'd be a much shorter book. We'd have the four Gospels. Uh, that's it. We'd be using the same scriptures that the Gospel-only cults do. Yeshua would be the only person we could ever read about. and That would make theology a lot easier. But we'd have even less understanding of how to please our Creator than we do now. We would have even less idea of how to go about our daily lives than we do without all this extra information that God gave, gave us. Now a better thing to consider maybe is that when doing these terrible things, honestly, I think that each of them thought they were doing the right thing. Does that change that the, the, what they did was bad? Not really. But the intent was to do the right thing. Isaac and Rebecca showed favoritism, to be sure, but there are a couple of mitigating factors at play here. Let's look at the prophecy about the twins. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. By the way, I'm reading from the King James, which is probably different than what you have up there, but it says the same thing. Because I'm old, I like the King James. Okay. Now, on the one hand, this prophecy could explain why Rebekah favored Jacob and Isaac favored Esau. You see, if you look at the first line there, it's not a mistake or even ambiguous. The Hebrew says, Vayomer Adonai La, and Adonai said to her. It's clear that Adonai is speaking to her, not to them. Uh, we always assume that she shared this with her husband. The scripture honestly doesn't say that. And in that case, it makes sense that she would favor the son that God chose, while he would favor the eldest son, apparently destined to be his heir, right? From his point of view, he was doing the right thing, supporting the son that he thought would carry the burden of carrying on the family. She knew from hearing from the Lord that Jacob was the chosen son. If you had that information, would you make choices to help God along in his plans? Would you maybe even cross a few of those moral lines that are a bit on the gray side in order to further God's will? Maybe. We're not in that situation exactly. 
Uh, we face similar situations in our lives. We have to make similar choices. And sometimes we choose to err on the grayer side of right and wrong. The same logic applies to the cons about the birthright and the blessing. If they knew that Jacob was the chosen son, was Jacob really cheating his brother and tricking his father? Or was he honestly doing his best to further God's will? I still think what he did was wrong. I can't deny that. But the question I want you to consider is whether he thought it was wrong. Isaac was trying to protect his wife from being raped and himself from being murdered when he lied to Abimelech. It may have been a more believable lie if he'd been able to keep from sporting with her outside the king's palace. Uh, but I don't think that he lied with any actual intent of doing wrong. I think he was honestly trying to protect his family. Outside the Bible, can you think of some other examples of people who did terrible things with good intentions? I'm sure you can. How about Nixon? Reviled by a lot of people. Loved by a lot of people. Nixon thought that he was protecting his country from subversion when he wiretaped, wiretapped the Watergate Hotel. Uh, was it a bad thing to do? Well, probably. Does that mean that Nixon was a bad man? Well, aren't we all? Does it negate all the good that he did? Or is there still a lot to admire in the man who brought about the Paris Peace Accords and reopened relations between the U.S. and China? I think so. Just like there's a lot to admire about Isaac, Jacob, and Rebecca. How about the Crusades? Oh, that's a big one. We all know the Crusades were a triumph of anti-Semitism and attack on anyone who didn't agree with the authority of the Catholic Church. What began as a series of wars to free the Holy Land from Muslim invaders soon turned into a violent aggression against not only Muslims, but Jews, Gypsies, Pagans, even the Eastern Orthodox Christians who were faced with an invading army, giving them a choice between forced conversion or death. Do you think all of those crusaders thought they were embarking on an evil enterprise? I don't doubt that some did. There are always some evil men in any group of people. Don't look on too closely at this group. Uh, but the majority of them, I think, truly felt they were doing God's will, redeeming his promised land from the Islamic invaders. Who's heard about Jonas Salk and Ed, Ed, Edward Jenner? Anyone heard of those people? Oh. They both conducted medical experiments on innocent children, defenseless children. Salk conducted these experiments on his own children. And Jenner conducted his experiments on or orphans that he got from the orphanage. Their goals were noble, and between them they wiped out two of the most harmful diseases in history. Jenner developed a smallpox vaccine around 1800. Can we count how many millions of lives have not died from smallpox since then? Jonas Salk invented an effective polio vaccine in the 50s. Their goal was to save lives. Nothing more noble. And between them, they undoubtedly saved millions, if not billions, of lives, if we go farther into the future. Still, they did a terrible thing. 
They took diseases that they were pretty sure would, would vaccinate against these worst diseases and put them into innocent children. Now, I seriously don't want any hands for this one. Can any of you think of a time when you did, some, when you did something you felt with all your being was the right thing to do, but later in life you came to regret it? Maybe you're even ashamed of what you did? I know I can. I'd wager that anyone in this room would fall into that camp, or else you're too young to have made any mistakes yet. Now, at this particular time of year, in our particular culture, in our particular position as Messianics, we have an opportunity to gain a unique lesson from this parsha. There's a pointed warning in our passage to all of God's people, but we can especially take it to heart. So believe it or not, I'm going to take Parshat Toldot and turn it into a Christmas message. Oh, wait a minute. I have to turn the Hanukkah bush on. Right, what I mean by that is at this time of year, some of us tend to become a bit, shall we say, combative and judgmental. I have faith in all of us that we do these things with the best of intentions. Because I know all of you. I know all of you have good hearts. I know you're all trying to do what's right. We've studied enough to know that while we don't know exactly when Messiah was born, we can be sure December 25th isn't the right time. We all know about the pagan connotations of the Christmas tree and how Santa is really an anagram for Satan. Which worries me for everybody living in Santa Ana, by the way. While we're gearing up to celebrate Hanukkah, our friends, colleagues, for most of us our family, in the church are getting excited for Christmas. And this puts us more or less at odds with them. It's easy to be combative. After all, we know that the will of God and his we know that will of God and his revealed truth, just like Rebecca did. We know who his chosen people are, just like Jacob. If the patriarchs and matriarchs had all of this revelation and still wound up being real jerks, how do we avoid falling into that same trap? How do we fulfill the commandment to make disciples of all the nations, including our own, without also being a jerk? Step one, don't be a jerk. Is that really that hard? Stay true to your convictions. Stay true to the truth. But, when, while you're doing that, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, just like Yeshua commanded. Trust me on this, it's possible. It's a lesson that took me far too many years to learn. And those of you who've known me a long time know that I was a jerk for a long time. If I thought you were wrong about something, I would just tell you point blank, without any consideration for gentleness or kindness. But I eventually, and I still fall short in this area far too often, but it's almost always possible to share a truth, or even to share a criticism, in a way that sounds gentle and uplifting, if you take a few moments to consider a few things. Not only what to say, but how to say it, and perhaps most importantly, how it's heard, which isn't always exactly the same as how you said it. 
Step two, remember that this is your own family with whom you're debating the proper winter holiday to celebrate. You can, you can disagree with believers about Christmas, Easter, and all the rest. And we do. But remember, you have far more in common theologically with the Pope than you do with most of the world. And that world is watching. Yeshua called his Talmudim to make disciples, not enemies. The enemy will hand us enemies enough if we warrant them. We don't need to help him out by convincing the world that we're too hateful to be worth talking to. And none of us are hateful. But you know, when you come up and you tell somebody, by the way, you're wrong about, you're, you're just dead wrong about what you're doing, that sounds hateful to people. Step three. This is possibly the most difficult part of this. Be true to what you believe. You don't need to compromise and say, well, I think Christmas may be okay if you don't believe that's true. But while you're, while you're staying true to your convictions, be nice. That's possibly the most difficult thing you will ever attempt, but attempt it anyway. Accept that invitation to a Christmas party. Yeah. And while you're there, use the opportunity to gently educate your friends and family about the biblical holidays. Because with friends, you can have a conversation and they will listen to you. With opponents, they will just try to oppose you. You may even convince someone. But you won't even get the chance if you're not invited to the party because you're a jerk. So I should probably apologize. I've been kind of rough on you today. Sorry. Not sorry, but sorry. I've also been rough on myself. Uh, for myself, that's appropriate. To quote A.W. Tozer, a tremendous theologian, a Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself. A spiritual man is hard on himself and easy on others. Keep that thought in mind as you're going into these conversations about the holidays this time of year. I want to be a spiritual man. I want to be hard on myself. I hope you do too. Unless, of course, you want to be a spiritual woman, as, as is appropriate. So you fall short. Yeah. So has every person in history. Bar Yeshua alone. You're in good company. Isaac, Rebecca, and Jacob, underhanded scheming plotters. Noah was a drunk. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Matthew, worst of all, he was a tax man. None of these things disqualified them from being used by God. The patriarchs were the seed of God's people. Without them, there would be no Israel, there would be no Bible, there would be no scripture, there would be no relationship with God for any of his people. Noah saved the entire world. God used a drunkard to make sure that each and every one of us here alive today is alive. 
Moses revealed Adonai's covenant with his people. God used a murderer to teach his people that murder was bad. David was a friend to God. Matthew shared the gospel with the world. All these were sinners. All these were bad men. But the important thing to remember is they repented of their sins. They sought the Lord's forgiveness and turned around into Shuva so that they could grow into the people that God needed. We've all sinned, but how many of us are willing to make those hard cuts in our own lives? Turn from our sin and rely wholly on Yeshua and Ruach HaKodesh. We'll never reach that state perfectly, at least not in this life, but that shouldn't deter us. As Rav Shaul said, For good that I would, I do not. For the evil which I would not, that I do. Sadly, that's an identifying verse in my life. I think all of us can identify with it to a certain extent. But just a few verses later, he says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So be like Moses. Be like Joshua. Be like Paul. Strive to be more like Yeshua in every decision you make, in every encounter you have. Be like Yeshua. Did Yeshua agree with the Pharisees on the oral law? Over and over again, we have to say no. He fellowshiped with Pharisees, though. Several times in Scripture we find Yeshua sitting down and having a meal with the leaders of the Pharisees. They wouldn't have invited him if he was being a jerk all the time. But when it came down to it, he told them, you know, what you're doing is wrong. But he did that once he had a relationship with them. Take that thought and be a little bit more like Yeshua. Just a little bit every time you make a mistake so that you can learn and grow from those mistakes. That's it. This is not... Perfection is an ideal. Sinlessness is a goal. And God, God would love us to be sinless. Don't get me wrong. God desires us to be sinless. I don't think God expects us to be sinless. What he does expect us is to be a little more sinless every day. He expects us to make those sins and repent of them and turn back to him in faith knowing that he is the only... His, his, the sacrifice of Yeshua is the only way in which we can obliterate that sin. Hide it from his eyes. And hide our own unrighteousness in his righteousness. Blessed art thou, Lord, our God, King of the universe. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, as we thank you for the opportunity to share your word with the people around us. Lord, we, we, even, if, even if they have the dates wrong and the traditions are off, Lord, we thank you for the, the fact that we can share with our friends and family uh, the joy that you sent your Son 
to live in human form, to sacrifice himself for our sins. Lord, I ask that you would allow each of us to see what we have in common with the people we're talking to. Lord, to share that commonality and use it to grow them through your word, through your spirit, to be more mature believers in you. In the name of Messiah, we pray all these things. Amen.